Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. Today we're talking about an opera that I would guess most people don't know anything about. Most people haven't even heard of, even opera fans. I know, which is crazy because this is, was, the most popular opera of the 17th century. No. Yes, yes. Dang. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's called Il Giassone, um, which it's sort of very loosely based on... Um, the myth of Jason and when he goes to find the golden fleece. It's like vaguely based on that, but like, all right. Right, um, right. I totally remember the myth of Jason. And by saying that, I mean, I don't at all. I was just going to say all you Jasons out there, because that's a popular name in our generation. Generation, This opera is your opera. Because isn't Jasone like Jason? It is. Oh, that's funny. Jason, the opera. Jason! <laughs> you know, it shows how little I know. I So I think it was last night, Olivia and I were watching the, uh, it's a new movie on Netflix called Enola Holmes. And it's with, oh, uh, yeah. is her name Millie Bobby Brown, the one from Stranger Things? Mm-hmm. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So she's yeah, Sherlock is. Holmes' I didn't brother. I that was and yet. It just, I just popped up on Netflix yesterday, so I watched it. But in any case, I feel like at one point there was a character named Jason, and this is taking place in like the late 19th century, and I was like, Jason, like where people, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that's where people born in like the like 1980s and 90s as opposed to the 1880s and 90s. Yeah, but I mean, it is a Greek myth, so this was like way back in. Right, exactly. But what? So like. The name of Jason has been exactly, around Exactly, and I was not recalling that information. I, I wasn't aware of the myth about Jason. It doesn't sound like a biblical <laughs> right. name. It sounds like the names of like a villain in the 80s, like a John right. Hughes movie. <laughs> and then there was Jason, in addition to I mean, Molly yeah. and, you know, To be Zach. fair. To be fair. Well, to be Chaz. fair. Jasone. Um, okay. oh, would be like the Italian version and I'm sure there's like a Greek version of the name. So I wonder how popular the name was in England, which is basically the only place you'd actually say Jason. Right. 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 Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, wasn't there a period in time in like the 19th? I'm really like blowing this out of my ass right now. In like the 19th century where like, there was this big resurgence in Greek mythology and Greek culture, and you can see it in the art and everything. And people were really interested in those stories. I wonder if there was a resurgence in the popularity. <laughs> I, I really yeah. don't know. I guess we need to look at like, like history of like name popularity in in England. I don't know. It reminds me of that one episode we did a really long time ago about that Meyer beer opera 
Deb. No, it was a handle opera called Deborah. And we're just like, <laughs> Deborah. <laughs> I feel like we just got really drunk and just ran around the whole time being like, Debbie. <laughs> I mean, similarly, I mean, it just, it, I just picture some like random dude named Jason. Not that there's anything wrong with being named Jason, but like this random. And like a polo shirt <laughs> and cargo pants. <laughs> <laughs> like frat boy Jason. Frat boy Jason. Just like, what? So. So we've got an opera about this frat boy. His name is Jason. Right. Well, he's kind of frat boy-ish. All right. In this opera. Okay, well, now okay. that we've gone down a deep Jason rabbit hole, <laughs> right. what's what's the deal, Elspeth? Well, first, who, so, who composed this opera? Great. I could talk about that. Um, this opera was written by the most popular composer of the 17th century, Francesco Cavalli. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was born Pietro Francesco Caletti Bruni. Um, he took the name Cavalli because apparently his patron, his name was Cavalli, and I think that was a thing back then um, where if someone was sort of like caring for your career, you sort of took their last name. So it was Francesco Cavalli, born in 1602, died in 1676, which means... He was how old when he died, Kyle? Uh, 74. 73. <laughs> you say, oh, well, okay. No. That was a yeah, trick okay, question. We'll say it was a trick question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what? Excuse me. What months? <laughs> uh, February. Don't worry about it. He was 73. It's cool. It's cool. Okay. He was born on Valentine's Day in 1602, oh. and he died Ooh. on January 14th, 1676. Mm. So he Tricky almost devil. made it to 74. He was close. Missed by like exactly a month, actually. Yeah, he's probably right. bummed out about that. Although back then, living to seventy three, it was like you're you're doing a well. big damn deal. I mean, yeah. good God. Yeah. So he was born in Italy. Obviously, when he was mm-hmm. a child, he became a boy soprano at Saint Mark's Basilica in Venice. Nice. And at that time, he had the opportunity to work under none other than Claudio Monteverdi. Ooh, nice. I, that's a big deal. That Very is a big, big deal. deal. Because this is Opera After Dark, I don't feel bad uh, taking it here, but I do feel a little bit uncomfortable when we talk about a boy soprano in a church choir working under anyone. To my knowledge, nothing happened. I will say, <laughs> going forward, Cavalli's life, we're going to talk about very briefly, but like, it's not interesting. Like, scandal-wise, it's not interesting. I was going to say, I wasn't going to go like quite where Kyle went with that but <laughs> being a choir boy at that time was like kind of dangerous in a way because if you had a beautiful voice at all you were like prime candidate to become a castrato right, right? so yes well, I don't know how good his snip, voice snip. was but I mean he became a boy soprano I think when he was like 13 so he's probably right on the cusp Whoa. of the change. It's probably. actually probably a little too old because didn't they yeah. only Castrati's was like up to the age of twelve? Yeah, you. I think you would have had to like prove your ability earlier than that to be considered for the post. So he dodged <laughs> sure. a bullet on that one, or yeah. a or missed the opportunity of a lifetime, depending on how you look at well, it. He he did well for himself. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. It fine. was cool. Yeah. 
So he worked at St. Mark's Basilica. Um, he learned a bunch from Claudio Monteverdi, and then he became the second organist in 1639. He became the first organist in 1665. Ooh, promoted. And, yeah, he became the maestro di cappella in 1668. So he worked his way up quick. from the St. Mark's Basilica. He started writing for the stage around like 16... 16- 39-ish, and he did write some other stuff, but he's really known for his operas. He wrote 41 operas Dang. in his Whoa. life. Only 27 of them um, are still in existence today. The rest of them are lost. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, his dates. I was looking at his dates kind of in the context of other things that, like, the first public opera house opens in Venice in 1637. Yes. So this guy was like on the trend. Probably right on the cusp. And that I think is what ended up making him the most popular composer of that time. Because right around that time, Kyle, is uh, (laughs) in Venice they built the first public opera house. So up until that point, opera had been like, I feel like Monteverdi and... I don't know, people before him, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Florentine Camerata. The Florentine Camerata, thank you. Uh, they wrote operas for the court. So there are these big, huge, grand affairs, huge orchestras for the court, the kings. They were not really for the populace. Mm-hmm. So then in Venice, they built, and I for the life of me cannot remember the name of this theater. They built the San first- San Cassiano. Thank you. Dang. <laughs> they built the- Encyclopedia. Um, an interesting thing to have at your fingertips. Uh, so they built the first public opera house, and Cavalli pretty much immediately started composing operas nice. for this space. And that, I think, really led to his popularity. And this is sort of what made opera what it is today. It was for uh, the general public, so the operas... Um, I don't know the best way to describe this. Um, They were not very, like, court operas were considered this, like, elevated high art thing. And Mm. these operas were, like, kind of lowbrow. I was going to say, you can say lowbrow. That's fine. Yeah. Kind of dirty. Like, they were They were meant to entertain. They were meant to entertain people. Yeah. Um, Around this time was sort of, like, the very tinkering tiny sort of beginnings of what bel canto singing sort of is um there's a big emphasis on this whole like venetian opera style of formal arias so like choruses forget it no one gives a shit (laughs) um so this is like the rise of the castrati this is the rise of like i don't know the movie star rock stars of that time period and so i would say around the middle of the 17th century Operas had maybe like 20 arias in them. Like the basic structure is like everybody sings an aria. It's like in verse form. It's usually in three. Um, These like are like all da capo arias, right? Like, all da capo arias. Yeah. There's like maybe a little bit of recit, but nobody cares about recit. Um, all arias all the time. And by, I think, around like 1670, I think the... The statistic I read said most operas averaged like over sixty arias in oh them. Oh my god! And I feel like like every character. It was just like but every character gets at least two. Right, and there's a lot They're of characters very in some of these operas. Most of these operas, yeah, like three, I imagine, four acts, they always have a prologue. 
I would guess it's a full night at the time. Like yeah. people were into it because it's basically like the version of like you know a CD or an album. You know where you just have songs. Like you want to hear somebody sing songs. That's what you're there for. But dang, definitely going to an opera now. My closest experience to this is going to see a uh, Handel opera with like it's you just have like aria after aria with the tiniest little bit of dumb meaningless recitative in between and then they're all de capo arias so they're super long and they all sound like they all sound exactly the same well in some of Handel's operas yes <laughs> but i feel like other composers were better about creating variety if you're if we're talking about the same opera like there's because there's one particular Handel opera I saw where it was just like the pace of the writing was so slow and everything sounded very similar. Right. But de capo arias can be really like amazing and interesting if there's actually variety from one to the next, right? If they all sound the same, then it's just going to be real boring. But I've... And the whole point was that like you ornament it in the return of the A so that it's actually exciting and interesting and yeah and i've also and vocal I, fireworks i've been prejudiced against de capo arias for a long time back to when i was a, a music student and you would go to these mm. uh voice competitions and there'd be like different uh groups you know based off of your gender or your age or whatever and then their winners would be announced and then there's be, there would be a winner's recital and so you have like 20 different groups you have 20 different singers all coming up to sing an aria and it's already been like a long day or weekend and they're like they say to the winners you can choose what you would like to sing on this recital like one aria but please don't do a de capo aria or if you do like don't do the de capo just like do all of your big fireworks in the first time through like do that Mm -hmm. did they listen no i like the couple of times where I was fortunate enough to, to win anything, I'm like, great, I'm going to sing my shortest aria, like get in and get out. But these people, like, they're just like, this is my moment, and I'm taking it. And so now <laughs> I hate the Decapo aria. I hate it. That's All right, fair. Thanks for okay. listening. I, I clearly needed to get that off my chest. That's fair. So you might not <laughs> like this opera. <laughs> well, I, I really want to know what this opera is about because I started to read the plot synopsis and it is bananas. So, yes. So another feature of Venetian opera at this time is that the plots are very complicated mm-hmm. and they're very improbable. There's usually some opportunity for some at that time elaborate kind of stage machinery. So people can be like, ooh. Yeah, I'm all for that. Um, yeah. And I do kind of feel that because... So many of the arias are generally strophic, so they're in verse form, is it gives people an opportunity to, like, go get a snack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just because when I say every, let's say an opera's got, like, ten characters in it, which is, like, lowballing for operas of this time. Every character, regardless of who they are, is going to get at least two arias. Man. That's a lot. And like the main principles are going to get way more than that. And opera at this time was like a very social thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't have the, the bottom floor, of like the orchestra level, so to speak, of the opera house was not just like chairs 
filling it like we see today, a lot of like the paintings and images that we have from that time period show that like people could walk around. Um, there were usually like different vendors in the lobby. You could get ice. Well, I don't know if ice cream was a thing in the early Baroque, but later it became a big thing. Sure. Right. Let's Snacks. say that it was. I hope the, it was a thing. And also like these theaters, a lot of times like the opera houses um, the aristocracy or the rich patrons could like pay to basically like own one of the boxes and they, they could actually decorate it however they wanted. And they were required to bring their own candles for their boxes too. So if they wanted to like actually see their, any kind of like playbill or see each other in the box, they had to bring their own candles. And, but then like the, the plebeian people, right. The, the lowest ticket prices uh, or people that didn't own a box could like mill about on the bottom floor and you know you could just stand and watch or you could like talk to your friends so i feel like you needed all the repetition yeah you could gamble you could make like marriage arrangements with people things like that so i feel like you needed all the repetition in order to like make sure that the audience at least caught something once right sure sure that makes sense yeah i will say that these opera houses so the first public one opens and then they start springing up everywhere and they put on operas for the paying public usually during carnival season and i i will say that it's sort of less about making art than it is just about making money yeah (laughs) which is fine like these public these opera houses were not huge so um the orchestrate the orchestras are usually very small um and they would spend all the money on getting these star singers to come in as draws so they could make sure they could fill the houses kind of thing but most actually all cavalli operas are written usually just for strings and then some kind of continuo Hmm. um yeah that's very interesting but it was a gay old time also framing Mm -hmm. it in terms of like popular music today it's like very small band you have like one big name singer and like a lot of songs that use the same four chords just on loop Sure. Or like shows that have pre-recorded tracks instead of live musicians. Right. Yeah. Bothers me. Not cool. Okay, so. So what's this opera about? Right. I will attempt I will attempt to tell people what this opera is about. Wait, I need <laughs> I'm sure I'm gonna lose track I probably at some point. will too. Yeah. I also yes, would like some context on so this is the his most popular opera, I'm assuming. Yes, it was written in 1649. Okay, that was the other question I was going to ask, where it came in the output. So kind of in the middle, like early to middle. Mm-hmm. But then I'm sure it just rolled and rolled, and people just kept performing it. At some point, and then, you know, it just stopped. Yeah. Disappeared. But it exists still today, correct? Yes. We have the score for it. I did. Oh, so here's the thing. I can tell this story. When Ian and I first started dating, I was a little more into this opera than I am now. And so for Valentine's <laughs> Day one day, because um, they have a copy of the score. It's not like it's in finale or anything. They have a copy of the score at Yale, but you can't, like, they won't give it out to people to check out um, because they only have the one copy. It's a rare thing, whatever. I think Ian lied to somebody and said it was for, like, a thesis project. And took it and then photocopied it. So I have it. And I was like, oh, my God, I have the score from Jasone. That's so exciting. And then I lost it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. 
I think I think the last time we moved, and I I don't know where it is. That's a bummer. Oh. Does, it is. It's a big old bummer. Does Ian know that you lost it? He does know. Yes. That's good. That's fair. Yeah. But no wow, lies. good for him that he went and copied a whole score. I know it was Ooh, very. It's very a sweet. long one too. That's that not an easy sweet. process. Like he, you do that basically a page at a time. Wow. It's true. Bless and that's his heart. that's when you knew. That's when I knew. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. I'm, I'm ready. gonna uh, preface this by saying this opera has like 25 named characters. Oh gosh. In it, there are only—I was gonna say there are only four that you really need to know about, but that's not true. Um, let's just <laughs> do it and let's see what happens. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. All right. So there's a prologue, and in most prologues at this time, it's like two gods who are like commenting on what is about to proceed on the stage so it's like the god of love or like apollo and they're all in the heavens and they gather together and they're talking about some shit so that's what happens in this so apollo and cupid appear and they're um debating on what the outcome of the drama that they're about to watch is going to be apollo says that I'm going to say this now. It's not going to make sense. It'll make sense in a second. Cool. Apollo says that Medea should be Jason's wife. They should live together forever. And Cupid says that Isophile should be Jason's rightful wife. And that's sort of how it ends. We'll explain this in a second. So, act one. Yes. Hercules, who is Jason's bud, you know, in the war... I don't remember this myth at all. You know, the war, the Trojan War, sure. <laughs> uh, He's... Yeah. Yeah, right? I no. don't know. That, that's like Achilles is a Trojan War. I Achilles is also in this. Oh, really? Is Hercules Ooh. involved in the Trojan War? Yes. I should really shut up because most of what I know about right? Hercules... Wait, isn't he? <laughs> ...comes from the Disney movie, so, you know... <laughs> Is Hercules in the Trojan War? <laughs> it it seems like Hercules was part of like a expedition to Troy before the Trojan War. He helped like try and sack it at one point, but okay, I don't think I don't think that he and Her- that Hercules and Achilles fought together during the Trojan War. Yeah, I, that sounds about right. Well, I stand corrected. That is about as much as I know, though. This is already growing terribly. All right, so, so Hercules and Jason, Jason are friends. <laughs> <laughs> They're bros. Hercules and Jason are these two overroided frat boys, <laughs> and... Hercules has convinced Jason that the best thing for him to do is to ditch his wife, a woman named Isifile, who is a soprano. Jason is a, a castrati. Um, he's like, ditch this woman. Let's go off and let's go continue on this magical quest that we have to find the Golden Fleece. So for anyone who does not recall, the Golden Fleece... 
um, is in Greek mythology, and what it is is this magical artifact. It's the uh, the fleece of a magical golden ram, and it has like powerful healing abilities. And whoever owns it is like heir to the rightful throne, and um, you know, it's magical. So it's like equivalent to like the ring, or sure, yeah, you know, it's equivalent to the. It doesn't make people evil. No, but. Um, <laughs> The idea that, like, it has magical powers and whoever possesses it, like, has those magical powers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, like, we want to get it. Jason's like, you know what? You're right. Let's do this. <sighs> so they go off to find the Golden Fleece. And they end up on this island called Colchis, I think, is the name that you pronounce. How you pronounce it, I'm not 100% sure. And the queen on the Isle of Colchis is a woman named Medea. Mm. Ooh. Who should it is? It is that who should Medea. be Jason's wife, according to either Cupid or Apollo. Apollo, right. the god yeah. of the sun. Mm-hmm. Yes, apparently they're somehow related. I don't know. Whatever. Apollo mm. or um, yes, Apollo and gotcha. Medea. It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Um, so he lands on this island. He sees Medea, and he's like, "Absolutely!" And she's like, "Sure!" And so they become lovers. Ooh. That did not take long. Right. At the time when they did that, he did not realize that she was the queen of this fair land. He was just like dope. And she was like, absolutely. (laughs) Um, As people do. So he falls basically in lust with her. She falls in lust with him. And she's like, I'm going to be with you. I'm just going to ditch my husband, Aegeus. Oh, shoot. Um, (laughs) Did Jason know that there was another man? No. And no. They don't, they don't care. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. Just roll. It it doesn't matter. Okay. So it's like a love a love square. Right. Nice. In this opera. Uh so then you have the character of Orestes, who people might remember from the opera Electra. Um yeah. all this bad shit that people do, like murdering children, murdering family members, that doesn't happen in this opera. <laughs> it oh, happens like yeah, that later. Is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so Orestes is a really close friend of Isisophile, who is Jason's wife. Um, and he tries to find out what's going on. And so um, this is just going to get very complicated. Aegeus has a servant named Demo, who is a character that shows up a lot in Venetian opera, who is a servant uh, who stutters. So most of his music is his comedic like the, uh, 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 kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And there's this very funny moment at the end where everyone like reconciles and it's happily ever after spoilers um, where we can play that later on where um, he keeps trying to say the name Il Jassoni and he keeps stuttering and then every other character says like sings Jassoni <laughs> and then everybody sings it together at him. It's very funny. Oh, <laughs> is it, his name's Demo? Demo. 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 Poor demo. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's played by a castrati. And when they do it currently, it's actually usually played by like a character tenor in drag, I believe. <gasps> nice. Yes. Hmm. So the opera um, does get performed still. Occasionally. Nice. Occasionally. There are a couple of DVD recordings of it. Wow. That are very strange. Yeah, I bet. Although that sounds like a lot of fun, like a character tenor in drag. Yeah. There are a couple of mm-hmm. them in this opera, I think. So did you just allude to the fact that this is an opera that doesn't follow the form of, if it's named after you, you're dead? 
Well, doesn't that rule only apply if it's a female? I don't know. No. Then the opera after you? Oh, that's true. Right. That's true. This does this does go against form that um it okay. is named after a character and, and nobody dies at the end of it. Although a couple of people try and commit suicide. But, but unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully. So All it's right. fine. Good. All right, so Jasone and Medea are getting it on. They're having a good time. They're they're getting it on. This goes on quite some time for a while. <laughs> oh, wow, that was a long pause. This goes on for a while, um, and then they meet together again, and they have a scene where she confesses to him that she, in fact, is uh, Queen Medea. And this part's a little bit confusing to me. Um, and he's like, oh, my God, I, I guess I remember you from long ago. I love you. And she's like, I love you, too. And you're the father of my two kids. Oh, <laughs> what? snap. But no, so what? he's like, awesome. <laughs> and then everybody's happy. But and does then he really big, think it's awesome? I think so. Nobody. Cool. Look. Yeah, yeah. No one's a hero in this. Jason's stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's like, just, you okay. know. I mean, it's better that... Dude, brother, sort of is, like, rolling with shit. I feel like the modern-day interpretation would be like, uh, that's not that's not my kid. So at least he's, like, you know... True. Not disowning True. his own children. So right. everybody's everybody's happy. Um, but then, wait, what about... What about Isafile? We'll get to her in a second. Okay. There's, okay. A big, there's a big scene that's semi-famous that we should play a little bit from where Medea is, like, a big Shayna because, you know, she's also a witch... Um, right. Where she invokes Pluto, who is, you know, god of the underworld, uh, to protect Jason and help him on his quest to find the Golden Fleece. Act one? That's act one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Act two. So it opens with Isifile. Say that ten times fast. Isifile. Yeah. Hanging out, wondering where Jason is. (laughs) Oh. Wonder where my husband is. Right. She finds out via a messenger that he's on this island and he has taken up with Medea and she's like, I'm going to go find him and confront him face to face. Uh-oh. Bold. Exactly. Meanwhile, Jason gets the golden fleece in a fun, what I believe is like dance segment. <laughs> really? Ooh. I think, I think it's a, I'm not sure. I think Is it so. like a dance action sequence? Kind of, because he gets the golden fleece by like killing the monster. 
Yeah, so it's okay. that guards it dance fighting kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Dance fight scene. Right. So everyone <laughs> is like, woo! Emma D is with him, and they take the ship back to her island, and everybody's happy, and it's great. Um, on the journey home, the gods are like, this is not cool. So they wreck the ship, and Jason and Medea end up um, to where, as if, if her name kills me. Let's come up. I cannot say. We it. need a nickname. Izzyfile. Izzy. 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 All right. <laughs> so they get rerouted, and they end up on uh, Izzy's home island. Oh, of course they do. Um, right. In order to ensure that Jason stays married to this woman. It, but Medea is stranded there as well? Yes. Yeah, so the gods are like, okay. Jason cannot shirk his, his marriage duties. Okay. We're going to force him back into this island. But the thing that happens is that when he sees Izzy... He's with, like, all his dude friends. He's with his girlfriend. Um, and he's basically like, I don't know who this woman is. She must be crazy. Oh, dang. Oh, not cool. Not cool. And so that's curtain. Act two. Dang. He pulls, like, a classic, like, Danny Zuko where, like, before they were, like, playing on the sand together. And now he's like, I'm cool. <gasps> Kyle, what Ooh. a reference. <laughs> he's rocking <laughs> well and rolling done, and whatnot, you know. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Act three. So, yes. Oh, I'm just going to say, like, this plot is crazy, but it sounds like it would actually be really fun to stage it because so much wild stuff happens. Right. It's true. And the one DVD that I that I own that I can't watch because who has a DVD player? Um, um, I'm, I still have a DVD player. I'm almost embarrassed yeah. to say that yeah. I do. Well, I have a Blu-ray player that can play DVDs. Oh, okay. We That's like hunted work. down a DVD player that can play DVDs, Blu-rays, don't even say HDs, it. and VHS. Well, no, no VHS. But um, the DVDs can be, and the DVDs and the Blu-rays can be from any like zone, because you know how they're like coded oh, for certain zones, like a Eurozone around the world. A, yeah, yeah. So like we can play Eurozone DVDs on our DVD Dang. player. Ooh, fancy. This was good... a very like intentional purchase. I thought you so. were going to say something about Betamax, and I was like, Naomi, your family in the Betamax. Yeah, we were big on the Betamax, but I don't have a Betamax player. My parents still do, but I don't. Nice. <laughs> okay. All right. Well. All right. Back to Jasone. Next act. This is act three? All right, act three. So, Medea is super jealous by the situation, even though, you know, she's got a husband. It doesn't matter. Um, and doesn't Jason, like, reject his wife? So doesn't matter. She still doesn't like okay. the idea of there okay. being an other woman out in the world. Um, okay. So, Medea convinces Jason to kill Izzy. <gasps> Ooh. Does he do Jason's it? Jason's like, yeah, okay. Um, but then he gets <laughs> one of his guards uh, named Besso to do it for him. Um, and in mm. a series of, I'm sure, hilarious mishaps, uh, Besso accidentally throws Medea into the ocean <laughs> instead of Izzy. Oh, just classic. So she's drowning, and Aegeus is there because obviously he's followed her because he's sort of like this very 
limp noodle character um, mm-hmm. who was just like, I love you. Um, so she's rescued by Aegeus and she's sort of forced because, you know, he saved her life to be like, repledged her ever loving fidelity to her husband kind of thing. How honorable. Wait, is, is Aegeus, Aegeus is not her husband. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Oh, he is. He, he is. is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. So yeah. she's okay. like, fine, you're right. You saved my life. I guess I'm in love with you again. And he's like, cool. I'm going to go kill Jason. Nice. Oh, no. <laughs> so everybody's trying to kill everybody. Jason is asleep because he does not realize that Besso tried to kill Medea instead of Izzy. So he's sleeping peacefully in the knowledge that his Wife is dead, and he can run off with Medea. Dope. Mm. Um, so Aegeus creeps up on Jason while he's sleeping, and he tries to kill him. But Izzy is there, and she's like, no, don't. He's my husband, and I love him. Still. She still loves him. Yes. Okay. Jason wakes up, and he's like, Izzy. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, and then Besto arrives and he's like, shit, I'm so sorry. Medea's dead. My bad. Dang. <laughs> and then it's just one of those like scenes where like all the characters reappear. And what I'm telling you is a very boiled down. There are 18 other characters who are like servants and friends and, you know, nurses and drag that I'm not <laughs> bringing into this because it would just take too long. Right. And they're just really there for like, comedic effect and they don't really do anything to enhance the story at all so like everybody piles on Medea shows back up I think in that DVD she shows up and she's like dripping wet it's very funny Um, (laughs) and everyone's like and she's like Jason you should go back to Izzy we've had our fun Uh, this is the end of it Jason's like I don't want to oh my word Um, (laughs) and then Izzy sings her famous aria from it, which is this very, very beautiful Infelice Che Ascolto. Um, and it's so beautiful and it touches his heart and it moves him so that he agrees to take her back. Mm. And the opera ends with everybody happy and reconciled. And there's a big old dance. Wow. <laughs> that, I mean, it could be partly the the portrayal that you've given but or, or the retelling but it almost sounds kind of like a rom-com like classic kind of rom-com ends up well in the yeah. end i mean why that woman would want to stay married i was gonna say like there's it's interesting as you're like telling the plot i can think of all of these like parallels to other operas like it's kind of like the Donna Elvira and Don Giovanni. It's like she's so adamant to save Don Giovanni, right? Like she loves him so much. And it's like, girl, he is not worth it. Mm-hmm. Like leave him. Just leave him. Just, Let him go. It's an interesting but, sort of play on those characters because for everyone that doesn't know or doesn't remember, like the classic story of Medea murdering her children, like Jason is the father of the children. So like... In the actual Greek oh. myth, they have this incredibly tragic oh, man. story that ends in because he betrays her and so she kills their children, kind of thing. Ooh. Right. So this is a little twist on that where it doesn't really end that way and everybody lives happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> and like I'm guessing everyone at this time like would have known the story, so they'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> exactly, that's a better ending." Exactly. 
Right. Right. Everybody's going in expecting something real serious, real dark. Mm-hmm. And then it was fine. I can just imagine the productions of this were like awesome because you have like shipwrecks, you have dances, you have a golden fleece and a monster, you have you have so much you can work with. You have like gods and goddesses flying in, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. It would be amazing. Are there any opera companies right now that are doing like true or trying to do true to period productions, or is that just like impossible with? I mean, not theaters. right now. <laughs> but right? Like, not right this, not right right second. this second. I mean, in recent um, years. <laughs> there are some companies that have like made an effort to do that for certain productions. And part of the problem or the, the challenge, you can say, is that like opera houses today are so high tech compared to what they were in the in the Baroque period. And so there's actually very few opera houses like left on the planet where all of the original baroque stage machinery is like left as is Mm -hmm. and still functions and so um you know like preparing these things for the stage like you could approximate it with modern technology but it would almost be like um like cost prohibitive to try and attempt to do it exactly the same way that they did and yeah and also like we we have some like sketches and things by the scenic designers so we know for some operas there's a lot more than others that survived so like sometimes you know exactly like what the sets and backdrops look like what the costumes look like you know about the like stage machinery they used, like whether it was like wind machines or thunder machines or things like that um but then for other operas like we just don't know what it looked like because none of the evidence has survived so the closest you can do is like create a new production in the style based on evidence from other works, right? Like the style of the Baroque. Yeah. But which ultimately you can't really might end up revive exactly the same thing. May end up being kind of boring anyways. Not to mention yeah, like it's not a lot of that stuff they legally probably couldn't do. Like <laughs> yeah. probably not safe enough to not safe. legally do. Right. That's fair. This is not the same period, but a couple of years ago, I guess it was like easily over five years ago, um, when Opera Renaissance, I think, was like the reinvigorated second attempt at uh, New York City Opera was happening in New York City. They tried to remount like a reproduction of the original Tosca by Puccini because we have a lot more of the like information about the sets and costumes, everything, what it looked like. but then I remember I had tickets to go and see it, and I think there was a snow day, like there was a snowstorm, and so I mm. the performance was canceled. But Bummer. so the companies do it sometimes when they can, but it's like a yeah. gimmick, though. Well, it could be really interesting, like for history's sake. I really want, like, when opera's back up and running again, I think it'd be so fun if a company had like Venetian opera nights, right? Where you like put on a Venetian opera and you like adapted the performance space so that like you can socialize and eat snacks and mingle and stuff like that while the opera's happening. I think that would be awesome. Would be awesome. You know, we have jazz age lawn parties. Why don't we have Venetian opera nights? That would be cool. You know? Although the singers would hate it. They oh, I definitely know. Sing- would hate yeah. it. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, yeah. listen to me. 
Yeah. Not to mention, I... And it, I think it would be hard for audiences to, like, change their habits, too. Totally. Like, I would feel so bad talking to somebody while somebody's, like, performing an opera. Right. Right? People it's try like, to do that shit definitely. right now, and it pisses me off. It's like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I just have this bag of chips that I'm going to quietly eat. <laughs> Or like, oh, it just... And it's always chips or candy or something loud. It is, with like a right. crinkly wrapper. Mm-hmm. And then they like lean over yeah. to be like, I love this aria. <laughs> and you're like, I do too. And I would appreciate it if you would shut <laughs> if up. shut up, yeah. <laughs> I will say, and we can we can play out to this. Um, a lot of the music in Jessone is like very fun. The Medea... Um, like magic like invocation to Hades scene is really fun. It reminds me a lot of um Yeji Baba scene in Rusalka where she's making the potion. It's very much oh, like that kind of I love style. That. It's a lot it's really fun. Um but I think the most famous thing from this opera is this aria called Deletti Contente, which uh, is the first thing that Jason sings. It's sort of like his entrance song. And it's this beautiful, delicate, like gorgeous. And we can play out to it. There's actually a recording of Cecilia Bartoli singing it. Ooh. Um, and it's basically about how Jason's just super into sex. <gasps> like and the whole aria is about that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you said He's that. like, sex <laughs> is cool. <laughs> This is early on in the opera, and all the audience is. It's like, the first thing that he, it's the first thing that he sings. Like yes, yes. It's like he enters singing. It's it's very beautiful, um, <laughs> okay. not really text painting and all. It's like the actual words that he's saying. Yeah. Okay, so what was all the right. name? What was the name of the aria? Delezze contente. All right. Well, we're gonna go out to that, but first. Thank you, Elspeth, for dropping some knowledge. You're yes, welcome. Thank you. That was, that was not an easy plot to to get through. Yeah. It was very bare bones, but I mean, if you can find it online, it's it's a weird thing to watch, but you know. Yeah, I was gonna say normally when I, mean. <laughs> I hear of anything like Baroque or earlier. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to watch that. But this, you. Oh, no. It's like full of dick jokes. You've piqued my interest. I think I'll <laughs> really you. enjoy it. There you go. That's all it took. <laughs> yeah. It's I was going like to say really that before you. Yeah, like even before you mentioned humor the dick jokes. And, yeah. yeah. And some very beautiful singing, very beautiful arias. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. we'll check it out. If you, listener, end up checking out this opera, let us know what you think. You can email us, uh, any one of our first names, at operaafterdark.com. You can find us on social media. You can also find us at patreon.com slash operaafterdark. Uh, we would love it if you would go there and help support this podcast. Uh, and we'll be back with you guys next week. But until then, I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. And I'm Elspeth. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>
Oh, you. 